Where did, where did, to where did you move? Georgia. I'm, I was born and raised in Georgia. Whereabouts? My daughter and my son are in Atlanta, so I'm outside of Atlanta. We're outside of Atlanta. I'm in Sharpsburg. There's a That's v- nested in Peachtree City, Noonan, Fayetteville, Fairburn. All that is in, the, in there together. Now, you know there's an exceptionally wonderful young lady who lives in Atlanta. My daughter. Cool. <laughs> is, she, is she downtown Atlanta? No, no, she lives out somewhere else. Okay, she's sort of like north, up north. Yeah, a little north, a little northwest. Okay, all right, good. It well, is, we probably won't run into each other. Traffic no, that's right. And she, yeah. she's getting married. We have a date, June 19th. They have a wedding okay. venue. Um, Congratulations. Thank you so much, Pat. It's wonderful to welcome you back, sister. Thank you. Uh-huh. And it's sad to see that you're leaving. It's a sad day. No bittersweet. Hey, it, it is what it is. God is good all the time. Amen. Yes. Yeah. But, I mean, that puts you closer to your wife's uh, parents. It does, which is an okay. incredible blessing, an amazing providence. Yeah. Okay, good, good. I mean, is it the same place y'all were before? It is. It's the same inter- okay. where I did my first interim, yes. Okay, I mean, is that to say they got a pastor, lost a pastor, pastor died? He resigned due to mental health struggles. He was very public oh. and honest about that um, all along. Okay. He's a, okay. You all would love him. I mean, they're grieved because he's such a shepherd and a wonderful preacher. But the Lord has provided him a job in the inner city at a ministry called uh, Whomsoever Gospel Mission. So he'll be counseling and teaching okay. um, men that are trying to get off the streets. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's a blessing. Yes. Hey, Melanie. Sorry. Sorry, Pat. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Melanie. Yes. Tell your hubby there's three bags of firewood for him at the entrance to the children's wing. Okay. I'm sneaking into church today, so I will... Uh... Well, they're too heavy for you to lift, but if you pull your car around after the worship service, I'll put them in the back of your car for you. One last act of service. All right. All right. Don't. You, I am stronger than I. I I know, and they're not that heavy, but just to play it safe, if I can help, let me know. Okay. Uh, This is Dory. Just if at at the end of the class we can announce the three new classes that will start next week. And they'll get announced during my teaching too. But Dory, remind me as I conclude. Jump in, okay? Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a plug in for him uh, at one of my points in the uh, in my teaching. But it never hurts to do it again. Well, it's nine. It's nine fifteen. I um I want to start by expressing on my and Genesis behalf. Uh, your extraordinary kindness to us, first of all, and the drive-by coming out and the wonderful notes of encouragement. They are a treasure to us. Thank you for the love offering. I, I had no idea that was coming. Um, it's extraordinarily generous it's, and helpful. Thank you for the love offering that you all gave to. And thank you for the framed picture of Wallace. I was asked actually this week, um, is does that happen when pastors leave churches? In every church that I've left, I got a picture, either a print or a painting, 
Um, so therefore, we we always remember you when we see the picture. So you'll be you'll be prominent in the house, and we want to thank you for that. I was a little in awe when Frank gave it to me last Sunday after the worship service. I don't think I said much. So anyway, I wanted to say that you'll hear me say that again at the beginning of my sermon this morning. But I didn't want to miss the opportunity to thank all of you, dear saints, for these um, for these wonderful gifts. We're very very uh, appreciative. Let me pray for our time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call up my screen share. I'll see if I did improve any. There you go. Good. And uh, we'll do a, a very quick review. But let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and glory and honor for the privilege of being together. You have called us to your Son. You've called us to eternal glory in Christ Jesus. Thank you from our brothers and sisters. What a privilege, what a sacred honor to be able to minister to them. And I pray our time would in fact prepare them <clears throat> to welcome and serve and bless their new pastor when he comes. Give our search committee grace and wisdom and discernment and help and unity of mind in this process. So do encourage my brothers and sisters, may their cup overflow with grace and hope, encouragement, love and wisdom. In Jesus name, amen. So, so why are we doing this? Here, here's one way to frame it. Every new pastor wonders, to what kind of church have I come? Where is it strong? Where is it vital? Where is it weak? <clears throat> and, and therefore, for the pastor to think, along with the elders and deacons, where are the challenges? Where are the opportunities for growth, for change, for maturity? So... Your role, this is sort of the point of this whole two-week teaching, your role is to live in such a way that, that the pastor's primary challenge is to maintain or foster what God is already doing. You're doing so many good things as church members that he steps in and he goes, wow, help me, Lord, to simply help this keep going, Okay. Uh, that, that's, that's sort of the spirit of this, and we're going to look at specifics, and you can see here, the first was introduce yourself, use your name. <clears throat> Chris Perso in uh, Church Central, the uh, administrator, has asked me to remind you to send in a picture of yourself. Janice and I are enormously helped by pictorial directories. They attach faces and names, so we'd love to have our church directory completely picturized, if that's a word. So Chris has asked me to remind you to send in a picture not close-cropped square or a portrait-oriented image uh, because of the space and breeze. If you have any question about what that means, I'm not sure I know what that means, call Melanie, get your picture in. Okay, so very briefly now, introduce yourself, respect time constraints. That means when you're talking with him after a public setting, don't dominate his time, keep it brief. By all means, pray for him. He needs your prayers. If anything good happens in our ministries, it is through the prayers of God's people. Share your thoughts, your resources with him. Submit to the elders. Respect him in his office. Esteem him for his work. And this is where we ended last time. We ended with these wonderful one anotherings in 1 Thessalonians 5. And we'll be referring a bit to it this morning. And here are the two principles that are in play here. Um, you'll just remember that I said every pastor wants a flock that excels at humble 
one anothering. So that in a sense, he just watches how well you minister to each other. So Paul, uh, when he, right after he says, esteem those who labor among you, the next thing out of his mouth there is 1 Thessalonians 5.13, be at peace among yourselves. And then he urges the entire church, admonish the idle, encourage the faint to help the weak, be patient with all men in this wonderful definition of love. Always seek to do good to one another. This is a great gift you have to give to your next pastor. How well you one another. Here are the two principles in play as I see it. The first principle, you're living out of your overflow. You're living in such a way that you're asking the spirit of Jesus to so fill you with his love and grace that when you are in relationship with others in the church, there is an overflow to them. You're living out of an overflow, not a deficit. Our relationships get crosswise when we're living out of, out of a deficit, meaning you're trying to get something in relationship from other people that only Jesus can give you. And healthy relationships aren't about getting, they're about giving. So that's one principle. Live out of your overflow, not deficit. And secondly, be more concerned with what you're doing as a church member than with, than with what he is doing, right? I mean, naturally, we all think, how's the pastor doing? How's this? How's that? Get your eyes off of him. Put your eyes on yourself and be more concerned with what you're doing as a member of the body than with what he is doing. So you, if that's the case, you will often pray this, Lord, make me the kind of member this church cannot do without. That's what every pastor wants. A church member who's so engaged, so other-centered, so focused, so intent on one another, living out of an overflow, that, um, okay, let's all, let's all mute now, guys. Let's all mute. Make me the kind of member this church cannot de- uh, do without. So let's move on to number eight. Love the truth and live it out. Now, most PCA churches don't have any trouble with the love the truth part. We, we specialize in good doctrine. We specialize in being faithful to the Bible. We typically do a good job of loving the truth. That's just part of it. And this is, I can tell you, this is a congregation that loves the word of God, that loves the truth. I can see it in your faces. I can see it in your eyes when I preach to you in person, when we meet together. This is, this is a mark of, of, the, of one of the health points of Wallace. You love the truth. That's just the beginning, though. The Apostle John writes in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So it's one thing to want the truth, get the truth. It doesn't stop there. You're living in overflow. The truth of the word of God, the truth of our good doctrine is overflowing into a Christian walk. And so you're constantly thinking about the fruit of what you're learning as being a blessing to others, blessing to your leaders, etc. Notice that in that uh, wonderful passage in Acts 2 that, gi- that gives us the essential uh, marks of a church, worship, fellowship, prayer, outreach, mission, and commitment. They, that section begins in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I see that kind of devotion among you. You are devoted to the truth, I, and I know that you and I pray it will always be that way. So, on that note, why not take advantage of our Sunday school program? Why not? If you're able, now you may not be able to join for some reason, you got little kids, you may be teaching a Sunday school class for us, but if you are able, 
why not use the Lord's Day, a 45 minutes a segment of it, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? So starting next week, you'll have an opportunity to learn more about Proverbs. Jan Adams is teaching on Proverbs. You'll have an opportunity to learn about the Psalms from one of your ruling elders. Dory Kenyon's teaching. Dory has a seminary degree. You're going to get excellent teaching from your brother Dory. He, he, he lives in the Psalms, right? He reads his Bible. You know that. And, um, and then Jamie's going to continue teaching on the church, and I know his teaching is extremely well received for what he's doing. So my encouragement to you, one practical way you, uh, you walk and know the truth and live in the truth, take advantage of the opportunities the church gives you for learning it. All right, let's move on. Modeling godliness, we're just sort of continuing right in that 1 Thessalonians 5 passage. Paul, as soon as he says, don't repay evil for evil, love one another, he bursts out into rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. What is that, beloved? That is a picture of a life on a Christ glorifying trajectory. Somebody needs to mute, please. That's a picture of a life on a Christ glorifying trajectory, a life that is desperately dependent on the Lord. Every pastor wants church members who are replete of their own resources and desperate for the Lord. Lord, if you don't show up, I will ruin every relationship in my life. Lord, come, help me. Please mute people. Um, so, so, for example, if your new pastor is reading his devotions and he comes to 1 Thessalonians 5 and he reads this, you want your pastor to read this and go, that describes Wallace. Praise the Lord. Okay, somebody out there needs to mute, please. It's distracting. Check your mute button, please. Is this checkable? Oh, yeah. Number 10. And bear, bear with, your, with your pastor's impatience, too. <laughs> Wildly on display. Marie Jones, I think it's you, dear. Marie, you need to find your mute button. Thank you, dear. Model godliness. Model, I'm sorry, uh, model faithful stewardship. So here's this striking passage in, in 2 Corinthians 8 of the Macedonian believers who were in poverty. Paul writes, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, meaning no one was twisting their arms. In fact, just the opposite, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They heard about the need of the poor in Jerusalem, and even though they didn't have much money, they begged to be a part of the, of the relief offering. They begged, help us. So every pastor wants, all your leaders, your elders and deacons, want members who are like, there's a need? Please, please, uh, let, let, you know, help, let me help meet that need. That's every pastor's dream. And look at why that happened in verse 5 there. And this, not as we expected, meaning we didn't expect people that were poor to beg to give, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So that's every pastor's dream. Church members whose first concern, I give myself to the Lord. So what good things will happen when church members give themselves to the Lord? We don't have enough time to count them. 
But th- that's the first. I give myself to the Lord, and then as the Lord directs, uh, we give ourselves to the ministry of the church. So I do want you to know, see this verse here from 1 Timothy 5. That's basically a, 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 um, a charter for, for pastors and, and ministers to receive a paycheck. Most pastors I know are humbled by the fact that our salary is paid by your gifts. And we are thankful. Thankful. Thank you again for the generous love offering you gave Janice and me. Stunning display of your kindness and generosity. How can you bless your new pastor? Use your spiritual gifts. So the pastor's job specifically is, according to Ephesians 4.12, equip the saints for what? Yours is the ministry. You have the ministry. Yours is the ministry. We equip you for the work of ministry by teaching, instructing, shepherding, counseling, providing leadership, encouragement, all those various things that a pastor should do so that you in your ministry build up the body of Christ. So here are the verses for that. I won't go over those. You may be familiar with them. But think what would happen if um, you showed up when, let's suppose, COVID's over, we all show up for worship, and you notice that the hymns are being played on a cheap $90 keyboard up front. And you're like, what? And you walk up to one of the pastors or Larry or Andy and say, why are we doing the music with a $90 keyboard? It's awful. And they said, well, we, we put that lovely piano we have in storage. The piano's in storage? See, if you're not using your gifts, it grieves a pastor to find the spiritual gifts of his people in storage. Get them out. Use them. Let them be a symphony. A symphony. All the parts working together for the building up of the body. All right, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians. You may remember many moons ago I preached through 1 Thessalonians. Why? I think it's one of the healthiest churches in the New Testament. One of the marks is their personal evangelism. Paul wrote in the first chapter, not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so we have no need to say anything. The believers in that young church put Paul out of the evangelism business in that region. It freed him to go to another area. This is every pastor's dream, that you are thinking intentionally, praying about, Lord, what does my witness look like to my neighbors, my coworkers, my family members, whomever. Every pastor's dream, uh, and he himself desiring to be a pace setter, it's, you can ask him, hey, do you see yourself as a pace setter in personal evangelism, personal repentance, giving, modeling purity, fill in the blank. I, I, I got that word from my pastor in seminary, Jack Miller. He loved that phrase, the pastor is a pace setter, because the pastor is not perfect. We know you're not perfect, but we want to be intentional about these things, and every pastor's dream is that those in the, uh, that his members, including himself, are models in, uh, in personal evangelism. <clears throat> All right, let's see. We are down to 13. Humble yourselves. So one of the most specific passages in the New Testament that delineates the role of the elder is that the elder shepherds the flock of God among them. In that context, Paul slides right into humility. So one of the greatest gifts, though the sheep can give the shepherds, is 
humility. So he writes in uh, 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Every pastor's dream. See, that verb clothe was used in the ancient world of a, of a servant tying their apron around their waist. How do you do life? How do you do church life? How do you thrive in relationships? The first thing you do is you tie that apron around your waist and think of yourself as existing to serve every pastor's dream. And he goes on and says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at the proper time. We had a whole sermon on that one phrase. Uh, Humility is timing. Humility is place. Actually, two, more than one. But anyway, so here's the question you want to ask as you interact with one another and your pastor. Just submit every thought, every word, every action, every motive to this. Is this self-exalting? Or is it God-exalting? So am I, in this moment, am I trying to show how smart I am, how knowledgeable I am, how wise I am, how lovable I am, how gifted I am? That's self-exalting. It's not humble. 14. Relish the gospel. This is a well-taught congregation, and you know that uh, halfway through Paul's epistles, there's always a transition when he shifts from the indicative to the imperative. When he shifts from laying out what Jesus has done for you, and there's a transition into what you're supposed to do about it as he lives his life through you. Paul starts with the indicative, indicating the gospel, the benefits you have in Christ. Then, see the transition in Ephesians 4.1, there I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you. He hadn't done any urging and exhorting up until this point. It's all been doctrine on what Jesus has done, what the church is. Now he gets into the practicalities. So, uh, the, the point he's making is, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel to which you've been called. In other words, adorn the gospel, live out of the gospel. And he teases out what that looks like, unsurprisingly, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. Why does Paul need to say that to his audience? Because we're all a mess. We wreck relationships when we're left to ourselves. We have lots of pride that needs to be dealt with. Some of us aren't gentle. Some of us need to be more patient. And when we uh, fail each other, as we're always going to do, no pastor ever comes to a perfect church. He comes to one that's imperfect. We bear with one another in love. So no pastor expects sinless members. But what we hope and pray for, what we want, are members who are intoxicated with the love of the cross. And when that's the case, you'll love one another. You'll bear with one another in love. There's no other power on earth to get that kind of patience and bearing with anyway. Okay? 15. Pursue disagreements with charity. The New Testament does a lot of assuming that we're going to have disagreements. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to do things that aren't good. That's that's because, right, church is full of sinners, people who struggle with sin. So, every pastor, one gift you can give your pastor is to pursue your disagreements with charity. Paul warns in Galatians 5, if you don't, you just may destroy each other. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom 
as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So this is the whole point of the gospel. Not only right relationship with the Lord, but being loved by Jesus, you take that love so you can serve others. You put their servant's apron on. You're other-centered. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That, when you're loving your neighbor, you're fulfilling that part of the uh, Ten Commandments, second half of the Decalogue. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. I mean, you, 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 you hear the hint of facetiousness here, but it's really true. And then he, I skipped ahead to verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Every pastor's dream congregation. And then you have this just sad thing in Philippi, these two ladies who can't get along. So their public spout is in the eternal word of God, Yodi and Syntyche. Very interesting, right? It's in the eternal word of God, Philippians 4.2. These two dear ladies who can't get along. They're Paul's companions. This is the kind of thing for your part you spare your elders from having to get involved in. Of course they will if they need to. If you need help, seek it. But for your part, uh, seek to be as Paul uh, writes it there in Romans 12. So far as it depends on you, seek to be at peace with all men. Which really is a good segue into number 16. Preserve the unity. So this is the next verse after Ephesians 4.2 that we looked at. Bearing with one another in love. What's the next thought that flows from Paul? Eager to maintain. You don't create it. It's already given in the gospel. Unity of the spirit. It's there. Our call is to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Is this for peacemaking, you ask yourself? How does this detract from or promote unity? If you're at odds with somebody, seek them out. Don't put that, don't put that difference on Facebook. Don't Twitter that difference. Seek them out. We belong to one another. We keep these differences, the circle of uh, uh, influence of that difference as tight as possible to begin with. Your brother sins against you, go to him. Just you, go to him. That doesn't work, take another. That doesn't work, get, you know, get the church officers involved. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace. You want your pastor to come in his daily Bible reading to Ephesians 4 and go, thank you, Jesus. You, Holy Spirit, are doing that among the members of Wallace. Not perfectly, but boy, they have a vision for that. Then Paul goes on just a little later in the chapter. He says in Ephesians 4.15, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So who would have guessed that, that you're growing as a Christian, becoming like Jesus, Paul annexes as critical to that, you speaking the truth in love, meaning you're putting aside falsehood, you're not obfuscating the truth, you're not shading the truth, and when you have hard things to say, you're being gentle, uh, you're, there's no place for ruthlessness in the body of Christ. 
We owe each other the truth. And if you find that someone has transgressed, of course you've got to deal with it. We, no healthy body seeks to cover up transgression at any level. But don't lead with accusations. Don't lead with accusations and, and, and don't draw conclusions till you have all the facts. I know that's hard to do. That's something that I think humanly we like to do. We're quick to draw conclusions. But uh, be painstaking in gathering data before you make accusations. Get all the facts. Okay, then Paul goes on. Next thought here, sort of bouncing in what a church should be between 1 Thessalonians and Ephesians 4. He says, build up others in love. Every pastor's dream to think about his church family this way, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped. See, we're all joints, we're all knit together. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What's the question you need to ask yourself when you see that verse? What's my part? Am I working properly? See, no pastor wants a, a church member who just comes to worship and goes home. That is a source of heartache. That's a source of pain. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a community project. Right? Hebrews 10.25, don't forsake your assembling together. But as you come together, learn how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's not just the pastor's job or the elder's job or the deacon's job. That's a one anothering job, stimulating one another to love and good deeds. There's so much more to church than just our worship Sunday morning. It's important. I think it should be a time of shepherding and equipping. And of course, the audience there is God. We're coming because God is worthy of our worship. And he has a way when we focus on him and desire to give him something of the glory, the honor, the thanksgiving, the praise that he deserves. What comes back to us is a kind of filling that then equips us to love each other well, to work properly as a body. But so much of the work of the church happens apart from our Sunday morning gather, gathering. So don't be passive. Ask yourself the question, am I working properly? And this is last phrase, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I think, you know, some congregations, they, they tend to err on one side or the other. They tend to err on the love side without the truth or the truth side without the love. In the Bible, these are never in conflict with each other. It takes both. You really don't know the truth till it equips you to love others. You really can't love other people without the truth. So the question you want to be asking yourself, subjecting your thoughts, your actions to are, is this done in love? And does what I'm thinking now, what I'm planning to do, what I'm hoping to do, is this facilitating the growth of the body? So there, Paul gives you some litmus test to subject, uh, to subject your uh, church behaviors and attitudes to. It looks like we're going to finish in, in lots of sufficient time to give you uh, time for questions. 19, what gift can you give your pastor? Um, judi uh, speak very judi judiciously about others in the body. Paul has to write in 1 uh, Timothy 5, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but gossips, busybodies saying what they should not 
Now, if there's any doubt in your mind that what you need to say, what you need to report on, what you need to process, if there's any doubt that it's gossip, ask your shepherding elder for the position paper your elders put out on gossip. They worked very hard, very carefully, very thoroughly, within, thoroughly within our standards in the Westminster Confession and, and the Bible to try to define what gossip is and what it is not. If there's any doubt in your mind, ask your shepherding elder for that paper and, uh, and they can get that to you. So, and it, did you know, so, so for example, it might be that your pastor's first uh, knowledge of or interaction uh, uh, with, uh, of, with another person in the body is by what you say about them. Right? Suppose the new pastor, uh, he might call me and say, hey, you know, tell me about Wallace, da 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 Whatever, if he hasn't met you and I said something about you, that likely frames the way he sees you. You know, the studies show that when groups of people are talking about another person outside of the group in a negative way, and that person walks into the room, they're treated differently than otherwise. So speak very judiciously about others in the body. And I'll conclude with a few practicalities and then we maybe entertain some questions. Few practicalities. Show interest in this welfare with questions like, how are you encouraged? I have a really, really good friend who's been a pastor for years and years and a kind of a mentor and a guy that knows me well, loves me, knows my weaknesses, knows where I'm frail, knows what I need. And he'll often say, so Mike, are you encouraged? And um, so he's, he's wondering, am I living on the Eeyore side of the continuum of my spirit? So sometimes I can be Eeyore-ish. Sometimes I can be Tigger-ish. Now, probably most of you experienced me in the church as Tigger. Like, woo-hoo-hoo! Oh, there goes Mike. He looks like a Tigger. That's fine. That's great. That's because I'm typically energized being around God's people. Um, which is really, really, really sad why we don't, we don't you know, have our last worship face-to-face. But I did get to see your faces in the driveway, so what a gift that was. And I want to thank again the elders and the deacons for the wonderful way they came together and organized that and, and made that happen so well. Thank you, fellow officers, our wonderful uh, deacons and elders. Don't, don't ever stop praying for them as well because uh, every pastor wants wonderful elders and deacons. Yes. So, you can ask me questions. How are you encouraged? Things like that. Um, secondly, except for emergencies, let him disengage on his day off. So, that, of course, that requires that you know on his day off. And many of you do that. You'll, you'll send an email like, hey, I know Monday might be your day off, so you don't have to answer this till Tuesday or whatever. Actually, I don't take Mondays off. I love Mondays. I tend to get a lot done on Mondays and get a running start on the week and I get the bulletin done for Chris and the sermon. And Anyway, I love Mondays. So Friday has typically been my day off. So it might be good for the church to publicize this is your new pastor's day off. And except for emergencies, you know, you've got to, be, you've got to contact him if it's an emergency. He wants to know if it's an emergency. Uh, let him disengage on his day off. Now, I have a personal policy of, called the 12-hour rule. If you text me or you email me, you're going to get a response as a rule within 12 hours. I think I owe that to you. 
Um, not all pastors are that way. You don't have to subject the next guy to that standard. But that's the way I like to operate, if, if possible. Obviously, if it's my day off and I'm trying not to look at email, you might not get a response for 24 hours. And um, it's, it's hard because sometimes you just feel like, see, pastors have this problem. They feel like they're needed. Maybe they feel like they're needed more than they are. But some of the function of the church, they are needed for. That's why we cheat on our days off and we look at our email. Okay, true confessions, be that as it may. Here's the principle. If you know it's his day off and it's not an emergency, let him disengage. And I've encouraged, the, uh, I've encouraged your elders where this handout all begun to make sure he rests sufficiently, which is often hard for pastors to do. And, um, and I know that he'll be given vacation and it's your elders' responsibility to make sure that vacation is enjoyed as well. C, don't criticize him via email. If you have something, it's fine to criticize. It's fine to get clarity on things. If you have a concern, you need to express it. Look, this is an open relationship, Right. Just ask to speak to him, and preferably in person. If it can't wait, then it's a phone call. But the best kind of criticism um, is it's in person. And, and again, as I've said last week and today, don't, you know, lead with questions, not accusations. Don't assume you know everything. Don't assume you have all the facts. Just start with questions, not accusations. Hey, help me. This is what I think I experienced. Help me understand. And, or is it true? Or did I hear you say this? And... It's interesting because pastors, uh, people hear a lot of things in their sermons that pastors don't say. And part of that's wonderful. Like I've had so many times um, someone has said, oh, it really helped me in, in your sermon when you said this. And I'm like, good, I'm glad it helped you, but I didn't say it. And, and I don't necessarily say that to the person because I know that the Holy Spirit took what I said and made a nice translation in their heart and mind to make it very, very personal for them. I'm really content with that. That's just glorious. But uh, once in a while, I've been, I've been accused of saying things that I didn't say. But at, at, at any rate, just come in and seek clarity. It, it's, uh, my, my rule is it's best not to do this via email. Email's wonderfully helpful and terribly tricky in, in some respects. You can't get tone in email. And um, so anyway, that... And then maybe it's just me. Find out from the new pastor what he prefers. If he doesn't care, then you need to go with what, what uh, you know, what's what's suitable for him. And no, I haven't ever gotten this here, but don't leave anonymous notes of complaint and criticism. When I showed up at a call one time, uh, my desk was blank except for one piece of paper. I think it was after a worship service. And it was a complaint about something, and it wasn't signed. I just looked at it. It was no signature. So I skimmed it to make sure it wasn't happy. And I threw it away. I'm not gonna, I wasn't going to give it the time of day. If they won't put their name on it, why should I listen to it? Right? Nothing anonymous, folks. We're the body. We're brothers and sisters. We have names. We have faces. We've got to deal with each other that way. Uh, and finally, let them make mistakes. I don't know if you remember, but when I first got here, John Daly stood up and read a little set of ground rules for the interim. It's been three years, so I wouldn't expect you to remember it. But among those ground rules was the interim's not a candidate for the next pastorate. It's just got to be that way. Uh, the interim wants feedback. The interim will make mistakes. So that was, we, we wanted to set that out from the beginning. <laughs> so don't expect perfection from your pastor. Expect a man who struggles with his own pride, who's desperate for Jesus, and who's not going to be perfect.
So take a meals instead. And many of you have had us over for meals. Uh, you've taken us meals. You've shown us extraordinary hospitality. And we're incredibly grateful. All right, gang. So here ends one pastor's thoughts on how you can care for your next pastor. Now, my, I see I have two pages of screen, so I can't see your hand go up. So you're just going to need to, if you have a question or you want to make a comment, you just need to jump in because there's a whole bunch of little boxes I can't see. So the floor is yours. Jump in if, and, and don't be hesitant. We've got about 10 minutes. Mike Rosenfelder, yes, sir. Yeah, I know you talked about uh, feedback for your teaching and sermons and all. So, um, wondering if a lot of people approaching is a good thing, or a sermon discussion where whatever elder leads that, perhaps then can go and say, "Here are a lot of the opinions I've heard about your about your teaching this week," or you know, so many people questioned this or that, or they were glad about what they heard. Or, um, just wondering, and if we get that, you know, going again. So, Mike, that's, that's a great question. Typically, pastors like to hear ways the sermon blessed you, <laughs> unsurprisingly. And, you know, not, that was a good sermon, Pastor. That's not helpful. So if somebody says that to me, I'll say, tell me specifically how, because I want a feedback loop. If you say, when you did that, it was helpful, I'll trust that that was the case for most of the people listening, and that helps me know what's connecting with my audience. So we did have a Sunday school class called the Sermon Discussion Group. A couple, Jim, what was the name of that exactly? I know, Jim, you were a part of that, Jim Hemphill. What's that called? Well, we ended up calling it the Sermon Application Class. Okay, that's even better, right? Because the point of a sermon is application. If you haven't had application in a sermon, you, have, you haven't heard a sermon, right? The truth is meant to be walked in and lived. Okay, so let's suppose Jim is leading that class. I think he did it with Dick, Dick Shaner. Let's suppose Jim or Dick or whoever's leading heard something in there that they thought, we probably want to report back to Mike on this. They should do that. They should feel free. They should send me an email. Nah, no. They should call me and say, can we get together? Can we get, no, put it on Facebook. Can we get together? And we've got some, um, we've, some things came up in sermon discussion group we think would be helpful to you. Remember last week, I've encouraged your elders to form a little um, group of um, people in the pew who can periodically get together with the pastor with you know, certainly an elder present. You know, the elders, your elders are responsible for what happens on Sunday morning. They're responsible for the spiritual ministry of the church in all its facets. So anyway, I, I, Mike, to answer your question, good idea. If there's something that comes up in the sermon discussion group, uh, I think a pastor would want to know. What would be helpful? What would be not, what's not so helpful? And does that serve to bring a lot of opinions through one person, like the leader of the class would be the one to, you know, maybe if he felt it was a, you know, important enough to take that to the pastor, instead of each person yes. feeling they have to go up to him. Yes. Good. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Um, pastor? Charlie Owens, yes, sir. I, I, um, thank you for your, your comment, and I just want to second 
what you said about um, when people come up and say, oh, good sermon or good whatever. As a person who spends my time on a performance stage, I have tried to communicate to many of my heads of schools that when they walk up and say good concert and walk away, does nothing for me. I need to know, did you hear what I was doing? What piece of music did you like? Did you notice we sang in three languages? Did you notice we sang from memory? So all of those things are hugely important. And quite honestly, I'd rather you just say nothing if all you have to say is good whatever. So thank you for bringing that up. It's a really important point. Thanks, Charlie. And I don't know if I told you last week, but um, Janice is one of my most helpful critics because she tells the truth. And I view her as the person in the pew. And if something isn't clear to her, it isn't clear to most people. I just trust that. And, you know, she loves the Lord and loves the word of God and has uh, high standards. So hopefully your pastor, hopefully his wife isn't one of those, my husband can't do anything wrong. He's perfect. His preaching doesn't need improvement. That's just kind of not right. So hopefully the next pastor has a Janice in his life. Thank you wonderful wife. And you all know that because you've gotten to know my precious wife. Isn't she amazing? Very, very thankful for her. We have really enjoyed her. Thank you. And the love you've shown her. Very, very, she's deeply appreciative. Somebody else? Comment, question, concern? Yeah, um, Pastor Mike, the last couple of weeks have been very helpful. I've missed some of it. I'm assuming that I think it would be great to um, have uh, the last two weeks be replayed every once a year, twice a year to the congregation as a reminder, meaning um, I'm assuming there's a way to um, view these last two weeks in the future. Um, Just printed them up and made little booklets that I saw in the copy room. So I don't know where those are going to be, but they're going to be available, I guess. So, but uh, the discussion and the whole, like, the audio of it, I think, is extremely useful. So I don't know if that, that will be carried forward. Radu, both have been... Chris, go ahead, dear. I'm sorry. That's okay. I'm sorry, too. Um, we have a SoundCloud page where you can listen to all of our past sermons, and um, we can make sure that the Sunday school classes are there. I think they are. Um, our website has all the Sunday school classes. Um, our website has lots of information on it. Um, and Mike's um, Sunday school classes are there as well. So um, if you can't find it, just let me know. Thanks, Chris. So this is all the classes are recorded right here. Frank or Bob brings it in. It's being recorded even as we speak. You know, I thank you, Radu. I, um, you, so some of what I've said, you kind of have to take with a grain of salt because it's just me. I'm just one guy. I'm one pastor. I can't presume to speak for all pastors, right? So there's a sense in which you need to, you need <laughs> the next guy <laughs> needs to critique this, <laughs> so you don't do things that he doesn't want. Anyway, well, I appreciate that affirmation, Radu. And I mean, the general thrust of this you get, right? Every pastor wants a body of people who are seeking humbly to love each other. 
and doing the hard work of you know, settling their differences among themselves. And of course, engage your elders if you can. Of course, engage your pastor. We want to be involved in that. But um, it's just this intentionality about, about um, uh, giving ourselves to each other. That's the, sort of the overall thrust. All right, one, one more question or comment. You're just dying to ask? Thank you. Uh, sorry? Nate? No. Anyone else? Well, Pastor, just one other quick thing. When when I become a member, because I'm working towards that, do I get um, do I get assigned an elder? An elder, like I know, like that's the person maybe I should go to first before the pastor, or is it just kind of random? You do. You get assigned a shepherding elder. And that person will be made known to you. And that's a great place to start with a concern. Start with your shepherding elder. You know, unless your concern is personally with the pastor. And, you know, if you, ideally you approach the pastor himself. If for some reason you feel like that's absolutely impossible. And this is, this is in our, our guidelines and, you know, dealing with godly communication in the gossip paper. Then grab your shepherding elder, explain the situation to them, and go with him. But it's always best to start one-on-one. Um, -on -one. So, yes, Charlie, when you join the church, you will be assigned a shepherding elder. And actually, I think the, with a, there's a backup elder so that if one rotates, say, on a sabbatical, that there's another elder that steps in. And hopefully that's made known to you. Well, I get to pray for you. Can I do that? Oh, Lord, this is um, kind of hard because these people are so dear. Thank you for them. They're your sheep. You love them more than any of us can imagine. And continue to pour that love into their hearts that above all they know how precious they are to the King of kings and Lord of lords, the God of the universe, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And with that overflow, they would be thoughtful and intentional and extravagant in their care for one another. And we pray again for our search committee to know the mind of Christ for their next shepherd. We pray thanksgiving for our deacons, our elders, these tireless leaders who, in loving you, love the church and serve it in so many ways, so many unseen ways. So care for this flock, I pray, Jesus, since they are yours, protecting them, leading, guiding filling with grace upon grace and mercy that's unceasing and kindness that's irrepressible. Fill them with these graces for your glory's sake. Amen. We love you so much. Thanks, guys. The Lord be with you. Amen. God bless you. Thank you all. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Be blessed. Tune in next week. There are classes next week. Bye, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. What's the name of that church? Is it Willow Grove or what? Calvary Presbyterian, Willow Grove, Pennsylvania. Do they stream? Yes. But, oh, good. Now, this is your church. <laughs> this is your church. They're recorded by this church. Okay. We love you. I'm sorry. What? Take care, Mike. <laughs>
Bye. Love you. Be safe and You're be blessed. Just precious to us. Bye -bye. Thank you, Mike. Bye. 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 Marissa. Thanks, brother. You're welcome. I don't know who said that. Who said thanks, brother? Oh, Rock did. All right. Bye. We're leaving. That could go on.